I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tobacito. We are so happy to have you here today. Thank you, especially to the sponsors of today's episode, Andrew and Shannon Newsom, my dear, dear friends who I love very much and who are big followers and big fans and big encouragers of The Remedy. They made a very generous donation and they sponsored last week's episode and this week's episode and they will sponsor next week's episode. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Andrew and Shannon. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew and Shannon. <laughs> Kevin's trying to say thank you. Sorry, I have my mic off. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the producer of the show or what? <laughs> I'm also not on mic very your much. Problem. <laughs> it is your show uh, after all. Yeah, you're right. Um, hey, if you are interested in being a sponsor of The Remedy, we love and appreciate it so very much. And we make it super easy. All you have to do is go to tovacido.com, click on The Remedy, and then click on Make a Contribution. It's so simple, and I always forget to say this, um, but if you enjoy The Remedy and listen to it on iTunes or whatever whatever platform you listen, it on, listen to it on, there's always an opportunity for you to rate. Um, so if you are enjoying it and you want to give us a good rating, we would really, really appreciate it. Yes, so we like those. We love those. Those are exciting. <laughs> so Kevin's our stat taker, and he always sends me screenshots of happy things. Yes, it's always yes, yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, thank you so much to everyone who's just great supporters of this podcast. We love doing it. It's my favorite part of the week. Okay, so we have in the studio today a beautiful girl. Uh, her name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I don't even know your last name. Elizabeth Jordan. Elizabeth. That's a very simple name. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I went from Elizabeth Hill to Elizabeth Jordan. Oh. Keeping it simple. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah well, you don't need any more when you're as pretty as you are. <laughs> you don't need it. You can have a simple name. <laughs> okay. So I met you um, today. Yes. Um, but was introduced to you a couple weeks ago by a mutual friend of ours who just went on and on and on and on and on about how inspiring you are and um, how much she admires you and looks up to you and how you have an amazing story and um, and I don't know it. So well, I said, come on. Thanks to Stephanie for <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> yes, thank you, Stephanie. Beautiful Stephanie. Mm -hmm. She's 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 one of my favorite people she's awesome. too. She's awesome. So um, anyway, okay, let's start with you and this. I want to hear this story. I want to hear this incredible story. So, where did you grow up? Where are you from? So I am a Dallas native. Grew up in this great city that you were I born here? born and raised in I, Dallas, Texas. Wow. Mm -hmm. Did you ever leave? Well, I left for college, okay. and then I where'd you go? To Wake Forest. Oh. For most of college. Okay. And I transferred to Baylor in the middle of my junior year. Okay. And then I met my husband on spring break in Destin, Florida. It, and did he was <laughs> did he go to Baylor too? No. He, he was, was just on spring, spring break. break too? Mm -hmm. That's hilarious. It's pretty great. 
It's Whoa. Like, mm-hmm. Okay, I want to hear that story. How did you meet? I mean, I know well, you, you were in Destin, but so how did the you real meet him? story is my friend. <laughs> What's the fake story? Well, the real story. <laughs> Which one do you start with? <laughs> uh, Who tells the fake story? That's what I want. Well, know. you could. You could edit this one. Um, but my friend Emily was trying to get free drinks, and uh, my good friend. Yes. And um, she did this little spin move to these two guys. And one of them was my husband, Austin. And I thought, he's really cute. I'm going to join her for this round. What's a spin move? Well, like a little, like, come here. come here, And they followed her. Oh. With her finger, you know, like. Oh, like, come here. Yeah, come here. Um, So they followed her. That's all it takes. Everyone needs a friend named Emily. I've never been Emily. I've I've always been the Elizabeth that watches the Emily go get the guy. Yeah, exactly. See, I'm in the backdrop of this story. So anyway. But you got the guy. Well, I liked him. So I had my, uh, my eye on him and walked over there with her and talk to his friend for a long time just to be able to talk to him Mm -hmm. and um we ended up hitting it off and at the end of the night I learned that he and his friend had a bet going uh at the same time and so they were also trying to talk to different girls and it was uh it wasn't (laughs) such a guy thing (laughs) but here's the deal it wasn't um it was just to talk to them. So oh, good. Anyway, yeah, there was nothing. That's what they told beyond you. that. Well, I think they were. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. So uh, at the end of the night, it was kind of like, well, this was fun. See you never. But Facebook had just come out, and so I went online and found him. And the next night, we randomly, truly randomly, ended up back out at the same place and ran into each other again. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I told him, "It's not Dustin. It's destiny." And that is oh, the gosh. end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> you were that cheesy. I know. I know. It was so great. It was so great. Also, he had a flip phone, and I put my number in his phone when he wasn't looking. A flip phone. And, um, How did you do that? How'd well, you... I just sort of took it. He didn't see that it was happening. He was talking to someone else and That's hilarious. entered my number in his phone. And I'm Elizabeth with an S, not a Z. So mm-hmm. I made a big deal of that's my name. And he found my number when he went back home and ended up calling me. And the rest is history. That's so, hilarious. Where is home for him? So that's that was the whole point is that we met on on spring break. But mm-hmm. I ended up moving to Memphis where he was from. So, wow. yes. So uh, we dated long distance for just a short time and then. Moved in with two girls I'd never met, taught junior kindergarten. Um, he and I dated for a year, got okay, engaged. Okay, hold on. Yeah. Uh, is this senior year yes. of college? Yes. Okay. So y- he goes back to college. Yes. You go back to, and where did he go? He was at Ole Miss. Okay, so he goes back to Ole Miss, and you go back to Baylor, mm-hmm. but you keep in touch, mm-hmm. and you have a long-distance relationship. Mm-hmm. You graduate. Yes. And then you move to Memphis, where he is? Yes. Whoa. I know. It was a big deal. How did your, what did your parents think of this? Well, my great husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, he came to Dallas and lived with my family for the month of July so that they would get to know him and feel more comfortable with him. So my parents, wow. yeah, they just sent me off. And I mean, I had a job and he had a job and we were falling in love. And mm-hmm. I think it was one of those things of like, well, you're, you're an adult now and get to make your own decision decisions. And it worked. It worked. Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you think it was love at first sight? I mean, I, I thought he was really attractive. So <laughs> I don't know what you call that. 
uh, infatuation at first sight. Infatuation, lust at first sight. But um, he, he, like you were crazy about him from the very beginning. He's a lot of things I'm not. So like we are a really good complement of each other, and. So I think really quickly realizing like he makes me better Mm. and I I think he would say the same thing about me and I had been in one other really serious relationship and um, was, you know, really through that. But I think Austin dating him was a really healing experience for me because he really loved me just for me. So cute. Mm -hmm. How are you all different? How are we different? Um, I'm a dreamer and he's a realist. (laughs) <laughs> so I have a lot of ideas and dreams and he pops my bubbles and brings <laughs> <laughs> you back down and I need a, I need a bubble popper. Yeah. Uh-huh. You need someone who asks questions about how that's going to be real. And he does a great job at that. And the work that I do now, he's like my de facto COO mm-hmm. who's helps me get where I am. He's my number one person I call. Um, so we're really good friends and really support each other in our careers and what I do now would not be where it is without him. Aww. What a sweet thing to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get married. Get um, married. And then where did you, and what did you do in Memphis? What, what was your job? So I worked first as a junior kindergarten assistant teacher. Mm-hmm. Had a great year with four and five-year-olds, but mm-hmm. teaching was not my calling. Mm-hmm. So I ended up working uh, for a seed venture capital firm called Innova in Memphis, and I was an analyst there. And I had no prior business experience, but I got to learn on the go. And big job for it was great. Not experience. Got to listen to businesses pitch and read their plan business plans and listen to the people above me analyze the companies. And so I got a real a really good business sense those two years that I worked there. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking I was going to come home to SMU to get my MBA Mm -hmm. at SMU. Um, Got in and we kind of had one foot in the door. And then ended up deciding really what I wanted to do was use the business skills I had, but transfer to something more creative because I felt like my creativity wasn't engaged Mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. So when we, we still did move to Dallas, but I ended up working in media for maybe two, two and a half years. What'd you do? At first I worked for, um, like a, a video company told stories of Dallas. Uh, and then I ended up working for sort of like an artist development company. So a group that, uh, uh, how do you say it? Like old school A&R, like a music label develops art artists, singer songwriters. Fun. Yes. It was great. I got to travel to Nashville and LA and I was living the high life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds fun. It was great. Sounds like a fun job. It was. And then when did y'all start having kids? So I know you have two. So do you want some of the marriage context too? Yeah, for yeah. Okay, so we for had sure. a really hard first couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so kind of where I'm going, so we chose not to have children uh, to start. Okay. Because we were going through a lot together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Just in your relationship? In our relationship. So we had a really, really tough first four or five years. And so, you know, here I have this great job. He's working and... Um, so kind of the turning point in my story is I was fired from my job Mm -hmm. and, uh, what year did you get married? 2010. Yes. No. 2008. Wow. 2008. Whoa. So I've been married 10 and a half years. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. I was young. You, yeah. Yeah. Because you look young now. Well, I was (laughs) almost 24, turned 24 on our honeymoon. Okay. Um, and so, 
I lost my job and at the same time we were in a really low point in our marriage. Mm -hmm. And so here I was on this path that I thought I was supposed to live. I was, um, good jobs, you know, good grades, good schools, Mm -hmm. kind of going up and to the right. And then all of a sudden all my dreams crashed and not only had my career dreams died, but my marriage, my most important relationship in my life was really suffering. And we were both really having a difficult time. And so I was in this space of like, I don't know what to do with my life, aimless. And And at this point, how long had you been married? Let me think. Four years. And all four of those years were tough? The first year was good. Mm-hmm. And then years two, three, four, into year five were really tough years mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of this space of hopelessness. Like, how are these patterns ever going to change? How are we ever going to come through it? I think one thing that held us together through the difficulty uh, was that we really loved each other. Mm. Like we really loved and liked each other Mm -hmm. as people Mm -hmm. and we didn't want to not be in relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so we ended up having a lot of counseling both separately and together and it took us both, you know, it was so easy to point fingers Mm -hmm. and say like, if only you would change this, Mm -hmm. then the marriage would be better. But really, when I finally said, I can't change him, I can only change myself. And he said, I can't change Elizabeth. I can only change myself. When we really took ownership for our part is when things really began to change. Wow. That's a very difficult thing to do. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. But it was also really freeing because Mm -hmm. I... um, I like to say I'm a recovering codependent. And so for me, I think I always want to get in other people's business and work out their stuff. Mm -hmm. And this was the beginning of the journey for me to say like, oh, I don't have to work out your stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I only am responsible for focusing on what's mine Mm -hmm. and working out my stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you, and this might be a question that you don't want to answer. This is probably pretty personal but did you understand at some point where that came from like this need to fix and and take care of everyone yes I mean I had um some close people in my life growing up with Mm -hmm. addiction Mm -hmm. and I uh really wanted everyone in my family to be happy and um feel loved and so I was the oldest kid of four Mm -hmm. and I think I just naturally took on this role of wanting to fix and make sure we were all happy and it uh, was your job. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents were super involved, so Mm -hmm. there was nothing, they were there Mm -hmm. and loved us and they Mm -hmm. were super involved in our lives. But Mm -hmm. I think I took on this weight that really wasn't mine Mm -hmm. pretty young. Mm -hmm. Got it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think getting married and, and well, I know getting for me, getting married and getting and, and having children it teaches you so much more about yourself than you ever wanted to know. It's you know? so true. You so much more than you ever wanted to know. Yeah. I would have been blissfully <laughs> ignorant. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Like it, you see th- this mirror of yourself in your relationships. And sometimes that, you know, what you see is not always fun. I know. You, and it's you got to so fix it. And honestly, it doesn't stop. Yeah. It's not like you work through your issues, and then you're good to go for the rest of your right. life. Right. <laughs> I feel like it's like an onion, and the layers keep getting peeled back. And the question is, will we continue to look at ourselves? Will we continue to do the work? Yeah. 
It's so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true. I, I've shared this on the, this podcast before, but my incredible therapist named Janice, I w- it was one time I was in her office and just frustrated. You know, I was like, and I asked her, like, Janice, like, I'm so frustrated with myself. Like, I know this stuff. You know, you've been, we've been sitting here talking about this for way too long. Like, when am I going to get there? And she was like, uh, there is no there. <laughs> you were like, no. <laughs> yes. And she was like, if you had seen how, f- if you could see how far you've come, you'd realize that you've already been, you're already there. Now mm-hmm. there's just a new there. Because mm-hmm. once you get there, mm-hmm. then it changes. Now there's a new there. Totally. Because you're, if you're always evolving and you always want to grow and, you know, keep dreaming and becoming then there's there is always changing Mm -hmm. and i think that's a great thing it is a great thing yeah but it doesn't make it easy but the more we can settle into that being the reality i think the less shocking the growth pieces are yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. okay so four years goes by and you guys are struggling you've been fired i've been fired how was that i mean it was shocking and terrible and I think I, um, I had this picture of myself like that could never happen to me. Mm-hmm. And then there I found myself fired and it was really humbling. Yeah. And I would never want to be fired. It was terrible. Like my, I don't know that my ego, like I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about being fired from my job right now and it would be, it would be so hard on me. Oh, and the call like is my like, pride, my mm-hmm. the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. What you say what do to you your tell family. Peop- what do you yeah. tell people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that they were. They were cutting back. <laughs> cutting back. <laughs> <laughs> Budgetary cuts. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a hard thing. To, I'm mm-hmm. sure those are hard words to put together. Yeah. Or the, were. Right. The words like you're terminated from mm. employment. Yeah. So, yes. Not fun. Not fun. So you're at the bottom. I'm at the bottom. And like I said, my marriage was also n- nearly at the rock bottom. Mm-hmm. So we... Um, had been going down for a couple of years and so I don't have a job and we're really struggling and this goes on for about six months. Dang. Um, where you're, where you are looking for a job? Well, I'm not even looking actually to tell the truth because I was so disillusioned. I had always wanted to work in the entertainment business Mm -hmm. and I had finally reached this goal that I had hoped for my entire life. And so it was the bursting of a dream and I'm a dreamer. Mm. And so it really knocked me off of my feet and I really did not know, genuinely did not know what to do next. Mm. Mm. So you're waking, I mean, I bet waking up was not fun. No, I mean coffee and like, um, staying in my pajamas all day. And Mm -hmm. I'm just, I really had no direction and no clear path. Um, for what was next. And how was your husband through this? Uh, well, this is where we're really suffering and struggling. Mm-hmm. So is he frustrated with you? No, he's patient with me still. Mm-hmm. And like he gets where I am and understands where I am mm-hmm. and knows that what I'm going through is really painful. Mm-hmm. So he's That's still good. kind and empathetic to me. Um, but our relationship is strained. Mm-hmm. So how'd you get out of it? Well, it just made me think because we have a mutual friend, Melanie Mills. Mm-hmm. So I had a couple of women and one man who really influenced my life during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, Melanie Mills, Sarah Blakeney, and Robin Pugh. Mm-hmm. And they all influenced... <gasps> Robin Pugh? Yes. I live in their house. No. <laughs> Wait, what? I bought the Pugh's no. home in 1999. They live in my, 
Wait, no way. Their first their first home was my first home. No. Yeah. And I it's still now my first home. Now they live in my grandmother's home. <laughs> True story. That is such a small it world. It is such a small world. <laughs> I know. Uh, that is so amazing. They are wonderful people. They are wonderful people. Yes. Wonderful people. Mm-hmm. So I had these three people take me under their wing Mm -hmm. and they were all in different industries, but what they, so they had this relationship with God that was different from most relationships with God that I had ever seen. Mm -hmm. So they were people, they weren't in ministry directly, but Mm -hmm. they were like surrendered to God. Mm -hmm. And I had grown up in a home where I believed in God and I loved God, but I had never surrendered to God. I never said, Hey God, take my life, do what you want with me. Show me your path for me. Mm -hmm. And I met all three of them at this amazing time, and they were modeling for me this different kind of path that said, hey, God, you made me. You made me for a purpose. You know way better than me what that purpose is, so I want to follow you and your path for my life. Did you meet them all at different times, different spaces? Or I had met Robin at one of my he's – a, he's a coach. He's a leadership coach, mm-hmm. and so I had met him at one of my um, – old jobs. He was coaching the CEO there. Mm. So I knew him first. And then he introduced me to Sarah and Melanie. Okay. Yes. And, and so how did they influence you? Like, how did that go? Well, um, a lot of prayer and a lot of just loving me through the pain that I was in Mm -hmm. at the time and listening to me Mm -hmm. and caring for me. And Sarah was working on her book. Mm-hmm. And I love writing and editing, and so she let me jump in and help her with her book. So I did have something to do during that time. And then Melanie would have me to her house and um, just love on me. She's got so much joy and uh, happiness. and She's so sweet. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I just had these three people who... Um, just took me under their wing. Rob and I actually engaged as a career coach during this time. So he was trying to help me work out what my identity and purpose was professionally. Mm -hmm. So that was a really great experience. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Smart of you to like hit the pause button and really think through. I don't think, I don't think enough people do that. You know, I think that, I mean, I think about if I got fired I would, I think I would immediately try to find a quick solution, you know, to yes. like, let's hurry and fix this. Yes. And I mean, it was obvious that you were going through something and to take, to admit that mm-hmm. and then take the time to fix that mm-hmm. is, is admirable. Mm-hmm. I mean, really to find a coach and to say, to find people to invest in and invest in you that could really change the trajectory and help you lean into the calling and not just, you know, check a box. Yes. Was that had to be profound, but it's also admirable for you because I think a lot of people don't take the time Hmm. to listen, you know, to listen to what God has in store for them next Mm -hmm. or or what is next. And I think that when we do listen, God opens doors that we, we could not have imagined. I totally agree. Wise be opened. When we open our hands mm-hmm. and we're so part of this for me, too, was prayer. It really was going to God and saying, hey, my plans for my life haven't worked out. Mm-hmm. Can you show me what your plans are? And I told the Lord, I said, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Mm-hmm. If you'll just show me what you have for me to do. And um, in January of the next year, so I've been fired in June, in mm-hmm. January of 2013, 
I had this thought, which I knew was from God because it was completely unoriginal. And it was find the poorest people in Dallas and start to pray for them. That's it. And yeah, well, and I mean, I would never have had that thought, first of all, because (laughs) (laughs) poor people did not exist for me in Dallas, Mm. even though I vaguely knew that there was poverty here. It was not a reality for me Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So the idea to find poor people in Dallas and then the second thing to pray for them, Mm -hmm. I would never have thought to pray for them. I would have thought, like, what can I do for them? Mm -hmm. And so I started just praying for I well, actually Googled what the poorest area of Dallas was mm. and learned that it, it's South Dallas. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started praying for... It's not the neighborhood we're in right now. No, <laughs> not the same. <laughs> Are you surprised? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, for interrupt. We like when you interrupt, Kevin. <laughs> so I just started to pray simple prayers. I prayed for the people of South Dallas and... As you said, as God does, when we have that um, heart, that open heart, he started to open the doors that he wanted. And so I started to meet with a lot of different people already doing good work in West and South Dallas. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do was join um, in with the people already doing good work. I wanted to get a job at a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so I applied to places and... Uh, I was very confident that I was going to get one of those two jobs. I don't know why I didn't learn from being fired that, you know, things don't always work out (laughs) 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 the way that you hope. Um, But I found out that I didn't get either job. And once again, it's a very humbling place to be. And 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 I'm sure you're like, God, why are you putting this stuff in my heart and on my mind? If, if these if are not, not going to work out, I'm yes. trying really hard here. Yeah. I'm listening. Throw me a bone. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, so in the, in that time I had met this man named Larry James and Larry had run city square mm-hmm. in Dallas, a big nonprofit here. Love city square. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So he had run that organization for 20 years and he was the first person of all the people I met with who actually invited me to meet the people that City Square was serving. Mm. So he invited me to this random street corner between a bus stop and a homeless shelter where people who were homeless would be getting off of the bus and walking towards the shelter. And every Thursday afternoon, he would hand them a cold water bottle. And so he just invited me to join him. And I grew up on the other side of the city. I grew up in Highland Park. And I, you know, it's called the bubble Mm -hmm. if you're not from Dallas. And so I had never ventured, like I said, I didn't even know poverty was in Dallas. And so mm-hmm. this was so... F- yeah, this Highland Park is nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is that it's actually not that far. You're, we're th- three Five miles. Miles. Yeah. yeah. One w- direction or another. And yes. you can you can find poverty, but, but we are so... Removed. Removed. We're so removed from yeah. it. Yeah. And so it was, first of all, like, wow, this is so close to where mm-hmm. I grew up. Mm-hmm. But it was not in my you know, field of vision before now. But secondly, it was so far outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the same time, I, I really felt like God was inviting me into this new place. And so I wanted to take the steps that were open before me. Mm -hmm. And so I said, yes. And I drove down in my car and even on that car ride, I was having thoughts like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Turn back now. (laughs) Turn back. (laughs) No, turn back. And, (laughs) and, um, you know, I, I did end up getting there. I didn't turn around and walked across the street and it was this old rundown house that was, the door was boarded up and this big oak tree that sort of the, the leaves just sort of covered it. So there was this shade and it was July 
And so hot. very hot. Mm-hmm. So people would get off of the bus stop and they would be walking towards us. And I was really out of place and really uncomfortable, but I did my best to say hello and shake hands. And, um, this first day was, like I said, just out of my box. But at the same time that day, something in me really came alive. And, and when I look back and I think about my story and what God was doing, when I was in high school, I'd gone on mission trips to Peru Mm -hmm. and we had lived off of a tributary to the Amazon river with orphan boys. Mm. And we had played soccer in the dirt with them and slept under mosquito nets at night and didn't wear makeup and didn't have mirrors. And I just felt so free to be myself there. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, I felt like I could show up on these streets and I could just be me. Mm. It didn't matter what I looked like. It didn't matter what car I drove. It didn't matter how big my house was. I could just show up as Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. And so what would end up happening over time is the homeless would just love and accept me for me. They had lost a lot. And they, God used them to heal me and Mm -hmm. teach me how to love myself. Wow. How? How did they do that? Mm -hmm. Well, I went with a lot of agendas and stereotypes about the homeless. And so, you know, I went this Thursday and I just kept going back every Thursday as a volunteer, Mm. never dreaming that this would become my job or that I would start an organization that was not on my path. I was just taking baby steps Mm -hmm. of obedience into what I felt like God was asking me to do. That that single thing is such a little, such a testimony to just, you know, I think when we... When we ask God to guide our path and show us the way, you know, we expect that it's going to, we're going to be hit over the head and the, he's going to answer that prayer and we're going to know exactly. But I think, I think this small little gesture that God showed you or gave you, like it was, it was like he was opening the door slowly. Yes. You know, we want, or opening, you know, just, giving you a crack at a time instead of like flinging it open and saying, here it is. Here's like, your future. Six yes, years from now, this is yes, where you'll be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that, mm-hmm. that little steps of obedience took you to a different place. Yes. Yes. And you know, I really did feel like it was an invitation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and you just kept showing up. Yes. And, and so, um, you know, my faith had always been, in my head a lot, like a lot of head knowledge about God. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, there are these verses in Matthew 25 that I think sometimes people read as condemnation. They say, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Mm -hmm. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. So I had reread those verses when I was jobless. And my conviction in that moment was, not only do I not give thirsty people drink or hungry people food or visit people in prison, but even if I wanted to, I couldn't because I don't know any hungry or thirsty people or people who need clothes. Mm-hmm. And so it was this moment of like, how do I get close to those people? Mm-hmm. Because where Jesus, do I even find those yes, people? where are they? <laughs> <laughs> because Jesus actually says he is them. And so mm-hmm. I think we can hear that as condemnation, but I actually think it's an invitation. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is saying, want do you want to be close to me? (laughs) Like this is one way, Mm -hmm. one way to get close to me is to come close to the marginalized and the oppressed and the people that society pushes to the side. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more. Mm -hmm. I I think, well, I've been on a million mission trips Mm -hmm. and, and I've always loved that verse. 
And I love that verse because to me that verse is very true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you, you, I, I was in <clears throat> youth ministry for years and then b- worked in Cornerstone, which is a contemporary worship service. So I took families on mission trips and youth on mission trips. And you could see, you could see the difference in the spirit of, of people. Yes. Men, women, youth. Everything changes when you can go to a place and let go of you. Yes. And 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 cling on t- and to something bigger and better and yes. different than yourself. And like you said, I mean, what you're wearing and how you look and what car you're driving. I mean, we're plagued with that mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. And I will say that. Mm-hmm. All the time, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, life is just one big comparison game. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what neighborhood you're growing up in, mm-hmm. you know? And to to eliminate all of that and get outside yourself, is it? you do become free. Yes. You really do. There's a freedom. And I so, you said that. And, and that's just, there's a lot of truth in that. And, you know, people would say and still sometimes say like how can you do that and then I just think I'm the lucky one yeah like I'm the one that is benefiting and changing and growing through so and and I think that's why Jesus said that first because he knew he knew how easy it would be to see him and and feel that freedom and I think that when we see him and feel that freedom we become closer to ourselves we do and and the person that God has created us Mm -hmm. to be for sure. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. So one early experience that I had is there was this man and he was, you know, he had on tattered clothes and his shoes had holes in them. And um, so it wasn't just, you know, through talking to people that my faith was moving from my head to my heart, but through my experiences. And I just had this thought to ask him what size of shoes he wore. And he wore, I think, either a men's seven or eight. And I wore a woman's nine or 10. And I just felt this little prick of conviction, I think, from the Holy Spirit um, to give him my shoes. And so I got to take off my shoes and um, give him my shoes. And these were these moments of, for me, with God of, like, do you really believe these things that you say you believe? Mm -hmm. Like, are you really going to do what I'm asking you to do? Mm -hmm. Um, This is between, that was between me and God. Mm And so it was this moment of getting to give him my shoes. And the cool thing about that day is I had put flip-flops in my car for some reason. And so it <laughs> felt like this perfect, like, well, I have another pair. I can just slip on my other shoes. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And the shoes you gave him, like pink or purple? or No, they were cooler <laughs> than that. <laughs> <laughs> they were like heels or wedges or something. Tennis shoes. Hopefully not have golden a, a street <laughs> A street's uniform. Get with it, Kevin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so you're getting more and more convicted, and it sounds like you're getting more and more comfortable. Yes, and what I'm realizing is a lot of the stereotypes I brought to the streets, like that people are lazy or they don't want to work, as I start to let those go to the side, and I really sit in the dirt next to people, and I listen. And as I really listen to their stories, I realize people really aren't there for those reasons. Mm -hmm. And I would say what I learn really primarily is that a lot of people are there because they've lost their support system. So they don't have family or friends who either can have their back financially because they're living paycheck to paycheck themselves, mm-hmm. or there's been some breakdown in family. Mm-hmm. So a lot of stories start with death. 
So when mm-hmm. someone goes back to the origin of their homelessness story, it may not be an exact cause and effect, but there's this correlation of this catastrophic loss happened in my life. Mm-hmm. And over time, other things began to break down and now I'm homeless and I don't know where to turn or what to do. And so there are so many amazing resources in Dallas, but imagine being in that dark place and alone and having to navigate this whole system that is foreign to you by yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like there was this gap in homeless care and it's very simple. I really felt like it was friendship. And so we started to move into this area of developing long-term friendships with long-term homeless people to help them navigate the system. But then when the system fails, so when the system only goes so far, we then leverage our own networks on their behalf to help them get good counseling, good jobs, good places to live. And this was this beautiful thing about where I had grown up is I had too much network and too much opportunity for myself. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it was this opportunity that God was giving me to share what I had Mm. in this really practical way. So what did that look like? What did that look like? I mean, that looks like... I mean, you articulate it so beautiful. thanks. (laughs) So what it looks like is, so we're dealing, we're focused on, Dallas has counted... And who's we? Oh, so... So we became an organization over time called The Human Impact. Okay. And it was different people at the beginning. We're now a staff of five people, Mm -hmm. Haley, Steven, Stormy, and Amanda. Okay. So we're this awesome team. Haley's been with me more than two years, and Steven, Stormy, and Amanda were all hired in... May of this year. Okay. So we just grew a lot. So fun. So fun. And um, I've had this volunteer artist and art therapist named Rachel Nash on board with me really since the beginning. She's been there for the whole time. And then tons of different volunteers and one other staff person that have come in and out through the last six years. And when did you start this? So I had been on board at another nonprofit Mm-hmm. Um, sort of as my umbrella nonprofit. And then it just became clear that our mission was different from what theirs was. Mm-hmm. And we started operating on our own as a nonprofit in May of 2016. Okay. And and this is you starting this. Yes. And it's called? The Human Impact. The Human Impact. Yes. And why did you name it that? Well, I went through a lot of other cheesy names. <laughs> That Rachel, my friend, who I just told you about, she booted them all out. <laughs> so this this was the first... Well, when I got this idea, I was like, this is it. And I told her, and she was like, this is it. Mm. So she helped me design the logo, and I was blogging at the time. So I was writing down the stories of my experiences there. And so, yeah, an organization was born from these baby steps that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Because I really didn't want to start an organization. I really just wanted to love homeless people. Mm -hmm. But what became clear to me, the more and more needs that I saw and found on the streets, it was that I couldn't do this alone Mm -hmm. and that I needed more people to walk alongside me if I was really going to help the people experiencing homelessness. Mm -hmm. So at some point it became this choice of like, I'm really comfortable in the dirt, just loving people, but I know too much now. So to really help people, I need to make this something more than just me sitting in the dirt, loving people who are homeless. Yeah. And if you if you had to summarize in one or two sentences what you want to accomplish with the human impact, why does it exist? It exists. You mean what's our mission? Yeah. Our mission, mission is to befriend the homeless and bridge the relational gap to change lives. And so what that means is, like I said, we start in the area of friendship, but mm-hmm. friendship 
so often, even if you think about your own friends, it looks like advocacy. It looks like going mm-hmm. to bat for people. Mm-hmm. So we become advocates for people who are homeless. And when they're ready, we don't walk ahead of them. Mm-hmm. But when they're ready, we're there to take every single step with them. So with my friend Edward, it looked like helping him not only in addiction recovery, but when he went through cancer treatment, our volunteer Johnny was up there every single day in the hospital, loving on him. You know, I was there as much as I could be. And we have these incredibly, it's, it's almost like doing church in a hospital room. We have like these incredibly holy moments of just sitting there laughing, getting to be Edward's family. And when he doesn't have family, he doesn't have people who would be there with him as he went through cancer treatment. Wow. Yeah. So it's amazing. And then, you know, his journey is, um, you know, it's up and down. There were a lot of relapses in his story. And then he ended up going through the Salvation Army's six months adult rehabilitation program. And he now is working with us. And um, that's a four-year journey. And so you kind of asked me, what does this look like practically? Mm -hmm. People who are homeless for the long term. So the technical term is the chronically homeless. Mm -hmm. But I like to say long term because I think it's easier. Mm -hmm. So the long-term homeless Mm -hmm. have been homeless more than one year Mm -hmm. or they've had four bouts of homelessness in three years. And so there's a lot of reasons why they're homeless and why they stay homeless. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get people like that out of homelessness overnight, at Mm -hmm. least you don't in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So it's a really long-term commitment to people. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we are consistent. We show up and we offer the same things to everybody, which is our all of our support, which Mm -hmm. means whatever you need. We take time to get to know what people's root causes of homelessness are. Mm -hmm. And once we figure out what those root causes are, we bring everything we can to the table for them. And it's it's up to them to say yes. Mm -hmm. But the thing is... You try to break down the barriers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you know, they're going to have a lot of setbacks or we expect that. And we don't leave people because they have setbacks because we have our eye on the prize and we believe in wholeness and restoration for each person just like we think God can do for us. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to quit on people because really God doesn't quit on us. Mm -hmm. And I think back to my own story and how broken and lost I was. And I'm just so thankful that I had people in my life and Mm -hmm. um, that you had advocates, advocates, Mm -hmm. and that I had a God who was willing to not give up on me. Mm -hmm. So do you have a building? Where does, where does this take place? Great question. So we work out of a coffee shop in Deep Ellum called Mocha. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an office there. They're amazing. They have a church there too called Life in Deep Ellum. Mm-hmm. And um, we go just about, um, I don't know, less than a half mile south of Deep Ellum to the streets of South Dallas, right by Austin Street Center. Mm-hmm. So we don't bring people to us. We go out to them. Mm-hmm. And what it looks like is we park our cars at the city square building. It's called the Opportunity Center. Mm-hmm. And we just walk the streets. And we've walked the same streets for six years. There are about 500 homeless people that live there, either inside the shelter at night or outside on the streets. So there were there was a lot in the news about the tent cities. Mm-hmm. They were all in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we've spent, I've been to those. You have. Mm-hmm. So we've spent a They're lot of scary. They can be very scary. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time in those, and then the city mm-hmm. shut different ones down, mm-hmm. and then a lot of time just out on this one sort of lonely street. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you just walk. We just walk, and so we go. We intentionally go without stuff, mm-hmm. and the reason is that I think that um, we can easily dehumanize the homeless either because of the way they look or because they haven't showered in a while or any number of stereotypes that we might have about them. But I actually think they dehumanize us 
when they only see us as givers of stuff. Mm. And so we don't even bring that to the table because that's not part of the equation for us. Mm. So when someone comes to me on the streets and says, like, what do you have for me? Mm. I'll educate them and I'll say, that's not what we're here for. Mm. We're here just to get to know you and to build friendship with you over time. And trust takes time and goes both ways. Mm. And so when people have an expectation for me that I'm going to do something with them, for them when I've just met them, I'll just say, I don't know you. Mm. <laughs> like we really do treat people who are homeless the way I would treat any random stranger that I'd never met I've before. I've never heard that philosophy and I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I like it a lot. It's so simple, yeah. really. Yeah. And we try to break down dividing lines in other ways. So when yeah. we, we have this pop-up barber shop called Street Side Salon on Saturdays, <laughs> it's outside. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> But we eat a meal together, but we, we have the homeless serve alongside us. So what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to break down. I feel like normally when I serve, there's a power differential, even mm-hmm. if I don't intend there to be. Of course. Because I'm the one that's giving to you. Right. And what we're telling everyone that comes alongside us is that the homeless are giving to us just as much as we're giving to them. It just looks different, our giving. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to remind people of that in the way that we approach people who are homeless in the first place. Mm. So we don't go giving people stuff, but we do give them things out of the context of relationship. Mm. So I know that my friend on the streets needs new shoes to be able to walk to his medical appointments. Mm -hmm. So out of the context of friendship, we're going to get him new shoes, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to lead with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. I have never, ever, ever heard this I don't even know what you call it, but I like it. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> you know, it works. Yeah. I mean, it takes, I imagine. It takes time, but it, it, I have to explain it to people who aren't homeless, but I just as much have to explain it to people who are homeless. Yeah. yeah. So oh, I they bet. don't understand why we're not there just to do something yeah. for them. I bet. And They're used to that. They are. Mm-hmm. And Especially from people who look like you. Yes. And so. Like, what is she here to do for, for me, me or give to me? Yes. Yeah. And instead, like, like, we're just there to sit and love people and to receive love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because it's a friendship. Because it's a friendship Mm -hmm. and it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So how, so, so what are, you do the barbershop. What are some other things that you, your organization does? So I think most of what we do falls into the realm of advocacy. Mm -hmm. And that looks like medical advocacy, helping people get the medical help that they need, helping them navigate the medical system, which can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. We have a partnership with Parkland Hospital, so we work closely with them. Um, So so good. It's amazing. Parkland has come to the streets with us to see what we do. They really believe in what we do because they find that there are a lot of repeat emergency department visits, Mm -hmm. not because people have medical needs, but because they're lonely. Oh, wow. And specifically with the homeless. So they see the value in what we're doing, and they're incredible partners of wow. ours. I love that. It's amazing. So, so let's say just g- trying to understand, um, contextually what this looks like. You go, it's Tuesday. You are going to go walk the streets. Are you alone? No. So okay. we have staff with okay. us. You always go in a group. So I've never gone by myself. Okay. That was a, a husband rule, an Austin rule from the beginning. Good Austin go rule. Go Austin. <laughs> And actually, I was pretty naive when I first went out there. It was very green, but I've gotten much more savvy. Oh, I'm sure. And so now you can't really you can't really um, pull a fast one on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's taken time to get there. And so I can read people really well now. Mm. And 
Um, well, you've learned them over time. just like they've learned you. Exactly. And so... Because you're friends. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so so your friend, your homeless friend, Susan, who you know... Yes. Her, she isn't feeling well. Yes. And it's Tuesday afternoon, and you notice, you can see it. Like, yes. she's sick, and she needs help. What do you do? So we would... Some people from our team would um, take her over to the emergency room at Parkland, and some of our best work happens waiting in emergency rooms or social security offices because it's this one-on-one space away from the streets with people. Mm -hmm. And so you tend to have these amazing conversations and get to learn a lot about people, and it builds a lot of that trust that I'm talking about. And we would see her through the process of getting seen by doctors. And then if she were admitted into the hospital, we would visit her every day while she's in the hospital. We would stick with her. And then a lot of times people get put out of the hospital just because their issue is no longer acute. Mm -hmm. But they Mm -hmm. still have really big medical needs. Mm -hmm. And so, like, we have a friend named Vincent who had an amputation. And he was back out on the street still with pretty much an open wound. And so we ran into him one day and we're like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't acute enough to get him back into the hospital. And so we ended up working all the angles we could until we, we found a permanent bed for him at the Salvation Army. And so he's over there at the Salvation Army and gets good meals. He has diabetes. And so he's able to deal with more than one of his issues. Mm -hmm. So like I said, we're using the current homeless care system as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And then some of the ways that we're sort of innovating and going out of the boxes, we have a partnership with a real estate development firm named Perry Guest. And they've housed now four of our people and given two of them full-time jobs. And then we have a partnership with an urban farm in South Dallas called Bonton Farms. Uh And we, well, our people from the streets work over there. And so as people stabilize into jobs and housing and counseling and all of those things, addiction recovery, we stick with them. So we form mentorship or coaching teams around them and we meet weekly with each person. How do you do that? What do you mean? Like, so we just set up a regular meeting every week okay, and a team. So we try to get one person not on staff, a volunteer to be on that team. So it's a really practical one hour a week that someone could give that really is impacting and changing someone's life because by the time they're in this place, they're really ready Mm. to take those steps. Mm. And I think so often people are like, I don't know how to get back. And this is this incredibly practical, meaningful way that someone could get involved with us and get back. That's incredible. That's incredible. And I love, I love that they, you recognize, and I'm sure you learned it along the way, but I'm just thinking like how hard it must be how desperate somebody must be to get to the place where they're ready to really change. Yes. They're ready to be influenced. They're ready to be helped. They're ready to do something. I understand why for so many of these people, it's just easier to stay homeless. Yes. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but it's what they know. It's what they do. It's, it is their community. Yes. Even if it it's, is. It is their community. I mean, they have been in the worst place in their life, most of them, Mm -hmm. with this group of people. Mm -hmm. And no one else understands it like Mm -hmm. that group of people Mm -hmm. understands it. Mm -hmm. And to leave your comfort zone Mm -hmm. is scary. Very scary. And and accumulating responsibility. When you leave homelessness, I mean, now you have a job and you have bills and Mm -hmm. you've got a place, you know, I mean, you've got to start... taking care of yourself and that's hard all by yourself and so that's why we try to prepare people 
for these steps. And we try not to take all the steps at one time. Yeah. But we try to help people slowly take these steps because Mm -hmm. one of our goals for people is that when they get off of the streets, they stay off of the streets. So remember how I told you one of the definitions of long-term homelessness is four bouts in three years. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to help people who get off of the streets stay off of the streets. And that's as simple as like, you know, if you get a new apartment, but you don't have a job yet. So yeah. we've paid someone's first month rent and then helped them find a job. Mm-hmm. But imagine if they had immediately fallen back into homelessness because they couldn't pay their rent or the same man lived in a really bad neighborhood. And one time, one day his apartment was ransacked and his rent money was stolen and he didn't have money to pay that month. And so we covered his, um, apart, you know, his, his rent, rent that month. Mm-hmm. So it's like little pieces of capital mm-hmm. that you and I may have. If right. we fell into a hard place, we'd have someone who'd give us a couple hundred dollars, right. but that our friends don't have, we are there. We are their people. We are their safety net. Mm-hmm. And so kind of back to what I was saying about what it looks like now. So our friend Jeanette, she started working over at Bonton Farms. We have our weekly coaching meetings with her, but we've gotten into housing with Bonton Farms. And so we have this one home that's already opened, and it's it's three units. So it's a family home on the front. It's two-bedroom, one-bath home, and then two efficiency, efficiency apartments on the back. Mm-hmm. And so once again, we slowly transitioned Jeanette into work, and she showed all this faithfulness and commitment. And then we were able to offer her that efficiency apartment on the back. And wow. so she's off of the streets Wow! Yeah, for the first time in four years. And there's so much joy there. Gosh, it's incredible. I can't imagine watching that transformation. It's unbelievable. And and I bet it's just fabulous to see that spirit in their eyes come alive. Yes. I mean, there's so many times where I pass someone, you know, who's begging yes. on the side of the street and you can just see their uh, like their eyes, the light in their eyes, their hope in their eyes is just gone. I know. And I can't Im- and and so many of these people, I think, what would you look like? Yes. If, if you were showered. Wow. What would you look like if you yes. hadn't been burned by the sun all day every mm-hmm. I mean, I think those things. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine. I've never seen it's choking me up, but I've never seen like that transformation. I can't imagine mm-hmm. what that's like for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, so one more story is oh, um, that would that would just be almost more than I could take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the best. Yeah, like that. It's I the bet. best. Mm-hmm. I bet. So one more story is my friend Matthew. He, I've known him for four years, and he had so many issues at the same time. So he needed mental health care. He needed a place to do something productive and good, and he needed a safe place to live. And so one of the reasons we got into housing was because of Matthew and Bonton Farms. They now have three pallet homes. So that's just like a little, it's not even a bathroom or anything. It's just a place to sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And they got these at the same time that we had gotten to help Matthew get the mental health care that he needed. And he was willing to work on the farm because he grew up on a farm. Mm. So animals are really healing to him. And so we got to, in this one day, this one glorious day, offer him all of these things at the same time. And so he got to sleep inside at a pallet home and he gets to play with the goats and he loves the goats. They make him so happy. (laughs) And, um, you know, he's on his medication and it's this moment of like, wow, we've worked so hard on his behalf. And he had to say yes, though. 
And so we showed up that day and offered him all of this at the same time, which feels like a miracle in and of itself. Sure. And then he says yes. And like, I, I haven't been at work this week, but I got to see a picture of him riding his bike in Bonton with two little kids on their bikes behind him Mm -hmm. and just the joy on his face and, um, those kids. And he's this incredible person. And I feel like now people are going to get to receive from him too. Mm. God, what a great, great, great story. Mm -hmm. How do you fund? How do you have, how do you do this? Almost completely people who give and fund this work. So the community I grew up in, Highland Park, they believed in me before this was more than an idea. And I'll be forever grateful to all the people that just said, like, you have some vision. I don't even really know what you're doing. (laughs) 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 But they... I think they saw my heart and they really believed that God was calling me. Mm-hmm. And so they were willing to fund me doing this full time as a job. And then over time, as we have redefined our, not redefined, but defined our mission. Mm-hmm. And we're able to not just tell people what we do, but show people the mm-hmm. results of what we do. Mm-hmm. Because for the first three years, there were no success stories. Mm. Because I was learning the culture. The culture was learning me. I was trying to figure out what the gaps in the system were. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like people funded R&D for me, research and development, for the first three years to find out, like, what really is needed. Mm -hmm. Because my thought going in was there are so many amazing homeless groups in the city. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Right. I don't want to do what's already being done. Right. No reason. No reason to. Mm -hmm. You're just a hub and, and a connection, connecting point for the homeless to get the help that they need. Yes, and sticking with them for mm-hmm. the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. really investing in them as people. Yes. Um, do you have fundraisers? I mean, or d- did you just go to different people, sit down with them, and ask for money? That was that was how it started. Mm-hmm. Just shared my story. I, I really don't like pressured fundraising, yeah. so I really just wanted to share my story and then ask people only if they felt led. Mm-hmm. to invest in what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so people did. People did come on board and invested in what we're doing and have continued to. And so now we've grown to the point where there are so many different people who believe in what we're doing and are investing in what we're doing in small ways and big. And my other thing is I don't think that any gift is worth more than any other gift. Mm-hmm. And I think so much about the way Jesus sees giving in the Bible, mm-hmm. which is it really matters like from what heart we give. Yeah. And so I'm just so grateful for everyone who gives to our work, whether it's $10 or $10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, just feel so privileged that people would want to partner with us in that way mm-hmm. and also come be involved. So the beautiful thing is that the people in Dallas who give have the chance to also maybe for them, maybe it's not, but maybe for those who it is, leave their comfort zones and come walk the streets with us or come visit someone who's sick in the hospital or join a coaching team um, or come see this home that we've built in Bonton. Mm -hmm. So there's this amazing way where, you know, I think mission trips are great, but you don't have to get on a plane. No, you can drive a couple of miles. And in fact, that's what I love. You know, I learned, I learned a lot about giving Mm -hmm. um, when I adopted my kids, you know, I went to Africa and I started giving to the orphanage and the organization that um, that they were in. Yes. And, you know, I felt strongly about it. 
And then I came back and I realized that all the money that I'd been giving and all the things that I'd been contributing to weren't being done at all. Oh, no. There was no regulation. Wow. You know, there was no regulation. And there is international giving that is good and regulated and and ethical and honest and all that stuff. But ever since that experience, I, and you know, I thought, okay, there are people that are suffering right here Mm -hmm. in my community Mm -hmm. and my backyard and I just it was a personal commitment Mm -hmm. that and that if I'm going to give to something I want it to be to my community Mm -hmm. to uh, here in the United States like I just uh, something I can see Mm -hmm. you know something tangible Mm -hmm. and so I I I love it Mm -hmm. I and I love I love I love this concept because you're changing our city Hmm. Like you, your organization is making a difference in our city, and 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 that's and contributing to a, a, a like a real solution. You know, I, I think I think a lot of organi- I think Thank every you. organization ha- ha- is very well intended, but I do just knowing the, you know doing this job and her having this and and just being a you know, an active part of our community, I know that there's a lot of organizations that just put Band-Aids, mm-hmm. you know, that put Band-Aids on, that may temporarily help with the bleeding, but they don't stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. Like, what I love about what you're doing is, like, you're stopping the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And, like, it is your intention to, to like, heal, heal the wound, not yes. just Band-Aid the wound. Yes. And I, I really admire that vision. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. You well, should be proud of that. You know, I it am. Makes me cry. <laughs> you know, I like think it's hearing it's, those stories. To me, it's God's vision yeah. for human flourishing. Mm-hmm. And amen. And the thing is, um, we don't give anyone dignity. God gives us all dignity, mm-hmm. and so we're just recognizing the dignity in every single human being mm-hmm. that we come across. And we're saying, just as much as God is after my flourishing, God is after your flourishing. And you can't see him, and you may never believe in him, but we are as committed as he is to your flourishing. And we're going to do everything in our power, if you will say yes, to walk with you to that point. God, that's so good. It's so good. So where do people learn more about you? How do they give to you? What if they want to come be a coach or volunteer? How do they, how do people find you? Great. So we have a website, thehumanimpact.org. Okay. And we share. It's amazing that that wasn't taken. I know. What are the chances? <laughs> I know. It's That's, incredible. That is incredible. It is incredible. <laughs> That's one way I knew it was, it was yeah. a good name. Yeah. Um, and so people can go to our website and we share stories on our blog. So you can subscribe to our blog. Mm-hmm. One of the really neat things we do is it's called Meet the Need. And so as our friends move into apartments or get jobs and they have specific needs, we don't always just buy all their furniture for them, but we invite the bigger community to either give to that need or to help personally meet the need. So we'll mm-hmm. make a list of all the furniture items that are needed. And if you want, you can drop off, you know, a dresser that you have that goes specifically to someone, or you can take it to their apartment while we're there and actually meet the person that you're giving your furniture it's really to. Great. It's really amazing. Mm-hmm. 
And we every Thursday we go to the streets over lunch. So it's intentionally over lunch so that people who work, if they want to, could take maybe a little bit of a long lunch break and come walk the streets with us. Mm-hmm. In the spring and fall, we have Saturday events, our street side salon. We also have events in people's homes. So people open up their homes. We have a Thanksgiving feast two Saturdays before Thanksgiving. We have a Valentine's brunch. Um, and then in the summer, we, we wash feet on the street. And so, and then we've partnered with Luke's Locker and Features, and they will give new socks and gently worn tennis shoes. And so we wash the feet of people who are homeless and then get to provide a new pair of socks and shoes. But once again, it's the same thing of like at our last feet on the street in June, my friend James, who is himself homeless, washed my feet. And so it's this beautiful thing of it really isn't just a one-way street. It goes both ways. And everything we do, we try to say we're trying to level the playing field because we're equal human beings. Yeah, we are. Mm -hmm. Nobody's better Mm -hmm. than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And nobody's calling is more important. No one's. Yeah. And so that's my other thing is I think what's so neat about God is that the three people who so influenced me, none of them were in ministry. Mm. And so I saw it doesn't matter if you're called to ministry or to business or to the arts or to writing, it doesn't matter. It just looks like, are we going to say, God, you know, your way for my life and continue to choose that way for our lives? So good. Thank you so much for being here today. This is wonderful. Just fabulous. I absolutely loved meeting you and I can't wait to see what God does with this. It's only going to get better. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait. Okay, so <laughs> I've never done this before, but we were hugging goodbye, and then I realized, I, well, I started asking about how you and your husband are now, <laughs> and then I realized that everybody else would want to know that as well, because we talked about how you struggled. Yes. First four. Okay, so as a quick wrap-up, yes. <laughs> we had to come back and say, what happened? Yeah, so at the same time <laughs> as I was you know, wanting to work in South Dallas, we were in both of us, a lot of counseling, both separately and together. Mm-hmm. We had started going to a new church called All Saints Dallas and the head pastor and his wife, they were meeting with us regularly and praying with us. And my family was super supportive. And so we had people just wrap arms around us and really walk with us back to this new place of wholeness and healing. And um, like I said, kind of earlier, we had to take ownership for our stuff Mm -hmm. and be willing to change. We had to be willing to say, we have unhealthy patterns of communication. We're not going to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. So we would practice new ways to have fights in our counseling room with our counselor, Doug, who he's amazing. Um, He's worked with both of us for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so we would practice these fights and then we'd go home and we might start down one path and be like, this is not going well. We need to, we need to do it. Do this a different way. Do this the Doug way. Yeah, do this the Doug way. And you know what we really learned is we would talk fact-based at each other and we would argue and we were never going to get on the same page if we just argued the way that we saw things. We had to actually get to what we were feeling. So we had to have the humility to say, when this happened, I felt hurt. Mm. And I think the reason we didn't do that before is it's really hard to be that vulnerable, right. even with someone you love that much. Absolutely. And so once it's so much s- easier to be angry exactly. than it is to be hurt. Exactly. So hurt. once we stopped just arguing facts and we started saying, this is what I'm feeling, or this is what one of the things Doug talk, 
taught us was what stories are you hearing? Mm. And so a lot of times I wouldn't actually be hearing a story from Austin. I would have a story from my past. I was telling myself Mm -hmm. that wasn't really about him, Mm -hmm. but until I could acknowledge to him, Hey, here's what I'm telling myself about what you're saying. When you say this, this is what I'm hearing. And he would be like, well, that's really not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And And this is how I'm feeling because of what I'm hearing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we would, all of a sudden we were able to connect in these hard places and really grow together And, um, yeah, our marriage has changed. And, uh, you know, I think there are so many people who get to see redemption in their marriages. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we've gotten to see resurrection in our marriage Mm -hmm. where we were completely dead. It could have gone either way. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a time when we lived apart for three months. And so we were in this really horrible, broken place. And I feel like um, we're alive again and we're new people and our marriage is new. And it doesn't mean we don't go through hard things, but... We have to continue to choose to do the work and love each other and talk through the things and all do of that. Do it well. Do it well. Decide to do it well. Exactly. A different way. Exactly. Than what is our default? Yes. God, that's so good. And then you had you had kids, and how has that dynamic changed, y'all? Well, we did wait to have children, and so by the time we had our son John, you know, we were really ready to have children. That's a whole nother story for another time about, um, I went through postpartum that was undiagnosed. So mm. I had a really difficult year mm. and my pregnancy was really complicated. And then we had uh, a miscarriage in between our two and that was also really difficult. And then we had, um, it took me a year to get pregnant, which felt like a really long time to me, even though I know for a lot of other people, they've gone through a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And we were really losing hope as to whether or not we were going to get to have another baby. And that month I got pregnant and our daughter, Sarah, was born on New Year's Day of this year. A great, great, great birthday. She picked it. She I went into labor on New Year's (laughs) Eve (laughs) and um, also was upset that we missed the tax break from (laughs) New Year's Eve. So he was like, let's move this along here. Um, And so, you know. She is this incredible gift. I've never been so grateful. I don't know if I've ever been so grateful for anything. I think Mm -hmm. I took having children for granted before Mm -hmm. what I went through. And this was also a really humbling experience of like, I don't, I don't have to have this. And, um, I can't believe that she's my little girl. And Mm -hmm. so it's just this incredible every day, even waking up in the night with her was completely different because I was like, I'm so glad I get to do this. Mm -hmm. That is precious. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad that everything's better now. Thank you. I, I Me too. Like, <laughs> so much better. <laughs> and I'm glad everybody now knows. I would have got a million, a million Questions. messages on Instagram. What Wait, happened? Yeah. Are they divorced? <laughs> Did they work it out? Yeah. Okay, good. All good, right. good. Now we can sleep better tonight. Okay, great. Okay, thanks, Kev.